He would go. It's only a matter of time before he went. He went down first and went down last, and that's all she wrote. I went to say well done to him, he wouldn't have any of it. Man's a sore loser and a proper shit house. That's that's the true heart of a cowardly man when he won't shake a better man's hand. Well, he shake Not man once, but three times to beat him. You know, today wasn't the greatest night. Two year out of the ring, wasn't all there completely. But I still done enough to be victorious and showed heart and balls like a lion again. There's nobody touching it. Nobody. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a bear of a man. And welcome back to the number one boxing podcast in the sport where the Gypsy King does as the Gypsy King says. What a night. Like, I'm still, I'm still processing a lot of what happened in that fight. I'm still processing a lot of what happened that night and probably what happened afterwards as well. Many of us of a certain generation have sat there and our parents have told us about Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier. You know, the, the three fights they had. They told us about Muhammad Ali and Ken Norton and the three fights they had. God, I hope it's three. And then for some of us, we were young enough to take in the Bo Holyfield trilogy. But we'd never had a heavyweight trilogy of our own where we could say, we lived through this. We were part of the energy of this event, directly or indirectly. Almost doesn't matter. We, we were around and we were fans and we were passionate at that point where we got to see the trilogy where two guys at the top of the sport went head to head. And our question ultimately was always, are we going to get that same feeling after this trilogy? Will we look back on this trilogy and go, these were the two people you wanted to see fight each other. And some people will say, no, we wanted it to be Fury v. Joshua. Some will say, yeah, this is the right one. History is showing us now that the trilogy was between the right people, right? After last night's performance, we have our own trilogy where we can point and say, this is what heavyweight boxing in our era looked like. This was the high watermark of heavyweight boxing in our era. And we've got to give thanks for that because you think of the people who had to sit there through the Klitschko era and they never got this kind of magic. They never got that kind of occasion. They never got that kind of event. Because it looked pretty sold out last night. People were saying, ah, oh, this event's not a sellout. And if you didn't go, the buyer's remorse you must have for underestimating what these two men could deliver is insane. Because I never doubted for a second that these men would deliver. I think what I said in the previous episode is, after this, it should be over. And after, after the third fight, it is over. There are no questions. There can be no excuses. There can be nothing. We now know who the number one heavyweight on the planet is right now. So, going into the, the fight, there were a couple of key questions that were floating around. And if you looked on the, on the Twitter sphere or the, the talking heads that they always wheel out on these occasions, it was, it was centered around the weight and it was also centered around the tactics. So, Wilder came in, what, 238? Which looked, it looked a watery 238, by the way. So it looked like maybe he'd had a good meal, um, maybe a couple of liters of Gatorade, I have no idea. But it didn't feel like he was really 238. It felt like he was sending out a message. And I imagine Wilder was probably closer to 232, walking into the ring. Fury did something similar. 
where Fury came in 277, but I imagine Fury was probably about 270, so not far off what he would have been in his previous fight with Wilder. And these things are important because it shows that everyone's trying to steal the smallest advantages heading into the fight. And so people are saying things like the weight's a factor, Wilder's bigger, he's going to be slower, his stamina's going to be affected. And my instincts were telling me, I don't believe a trainer or a boxing brain as experienced as Malik Scott is going to let Wilder get heavy if it means he gets slower. So I didn't think speed would be a factor. I also didn't think stamina would be a factor because, as I say numerous times on these episodes, you're as fit as the man in front of you. And I'll explain it again. If you put me in the ring with, with a 14-year-old, right? 14-year-old can be four, 5 foot 10 or whatever. Give me a 14-year-old kid, three three-minute rounds. I'm not going to be that stressed. Just because I'm significantly more experienced, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm not going to be that stressed. Tell me I've got to do three rounds with Andy Ruiz. That same gas tank can't sustain me for the three rounds because of the additional work I have to do. It's not just physical work, it's mental work, it's psychological work. A lot of energy gets burned trying to figure out what someone better than you is doing. So Wilder's stamina was never going to be an issue because of his size. His stamina was never going to be an issue because of his legs. His, it was always going to be about, can he move as much of his boxing knowledge and experience into the small brain and use that to execute the game plan? Or does he have to think about every move he makes? Does he have to think about every step he takes? And if he has to do that against Fury, he's not going to last to 12, no matter how many miles he would have run. And it's often something that gets overlooked when you're preparing people for not just boxing, but elite sports in general. If I put you in a situation where you make the same decision a thousand times, you, you can do it in different ways, but as long as you have the same process a thousand times, you will never have to think about it. You will never question it in a fight. You do it five times, you're not so sure. So was the 20-week camp enough time for Wilder to bed in everything Malik Scott wanted him to do? And we're going to discuss this as we discuss the details of the fight. And then on the Fury side, being 277 on the scales, but more likely 269, 270 in the ring, right? Was that going to hinder him? No, because there's no additional stress for Fury. He's seen what Wilder is. He's seen what Wilder can do. Nothing in there's going to surprise Fury because, as I've said before, he's either seen it in a fight somewhere else or he's seen it in sparring. There's not much of a surprise factor. So Fury knew psychologically he could do the 12. And then all he has to do is train physically for the 12. And I think that's the Fury you saw on the scales. Like I said, Sugar Hill wouldn't run the risk of Fury not seeing out the 12 because Wilder is the wrong person to have stamina issues against. So we go into this fight and now we're going on the assumption that no stone can be left unturned. They've had a year and a half at least to get their act together. They've had nothing but lockdown to get their act together. 
So heading into that fight, I expected we were going to see the best version of Fury and the best version of Wilder. And we weren't disappointed. We were not disappointed at all. So as you jump into that first round and everyone's revved up and everyone's excited and everyone's now going, what are we going to see? And we saw what we wanted to see, didn't we? did we not? We saw, we saw Deontay Wilder moving and grooving, you know, doing the right things. He's never going to look smooth doing it, but he was doing the right things, you know, looking high, shooting low, looking low, shooting high, keeping, you know, just letting Fury know that there are going to be a few more wrinkles to his game than we've seen before. Footwork looked good. Stance looked solid. He looked, he looked better than we'd seen him, right? Even in the first fight, he looked better. And he's just there, you know, moving, grooving, shuffling in, shuffling out, doing what he needs to do. Letting Fury know, I can work from the middle, I can work from the ropes, whatever you want to do, we can do it. And Tyson did something really interesting. And Tyson said, I'm going to let you do this because I want to see what Malik's done. Because I know what you like, Deontay. You like to show off your shiny new toys. So I'm just going to let you play your hand in this first round, maybe, maybe even the second round. I'm going to let you play your hand. As long as I'm not in harm's way, I'm going to keep letting you play your hand before I start to make noise. So that first round, like everything I see, Deontay's jabbing to the body, sensible. But Fury prepared for that. That's the benefit of having a guy like George Fox because he's got all those tricks in the book so you can prepare for that inspiring. And Fury looked good defending the jab to the body, looked good defending the jab to the head. But you could see he was having a look because what Fury wasn't doing is slipping a sliding like, you know, we like to talk about him being slick defensively. He wasn't doing any of that. He had that kind of, he looked like a father watching their son. Mm, let me see what this kid's got. Hmm, okay, okay, okay. At some point, I'm going to let him know that, you know, I'm the man in this situation. But for now, keep doing your thing. Mm-hmm. And you could see that in Fury's face. He had that kind of knowing look like, hmm, okay. Little bit better than I expected. Might have to work a bit longer than I thought I would. I thought I'd get this done in four rounds. Might have to stretch this one out. And you know, all the fans at this point are looking, they're going, okay, what's going on with the gloves? Are the gloves real? Are the gloves whatever? We now know that the whole controversy was around the horsehair gloves, right? Which, in an era where veganism is so prevalent in our society, are we still using horsehair gloves? I don't know. So, Wilder looked like he had Everlast MXs on. And I don't know if most people listening to this know what it's like to hit something with MXs. Um, Winnie does. Shouts out to Winnie for having those Everlast MXs. I think she's got the eights. Do not punch anything with those, by the way, if you fancy keeping your knuckles intact. So they're real punches gloves. They're the gloves Pacquiao uses, right? They're the ones I think Floyd banned him from using the MXs or might have been the MMXs, I can't remember. But Wilder's got punches gloves on, as is Fury, because you know when you've got horsehair gloves, you're more relying on the, the padding from the wraps than you are from the padding from the glove. So... That's the interesting subplot put to bed now. They've both got punches gloves on. There's no real advantage between one pair of gloves or the other. End of that first round, you start to see Fury let Wilder know, I've got a one-two right here. Why is that interesting? That's really interesting because the theme of the fight for me was literally Fury beating Deontay Wilder with Wilder's best tools. And when we get to the knockdown, I'll explain more. But... That's the theme of the fight. We didn't see a classic Fury performance, which is dominate you and break you down with the jab and then eventually take you out. He said, no, 
I'm going to hit you with the same combination you've been knocking people out with. So you know what it's like to get knocked out with it. Yeah, that's like um, you're, you're weaving an additional layer of psychology into it. Where it's like you're so used to dishing this out to people. I wonder if you're used to taking it. And it's time to acknowledge that Tyson Fury's one-two. Massively underrated. It, it, it reminds me of, and maybe not identical, but in that sort of feel of the Vitaly Klitschko one-two, where it didn't look like much, but it seemingly mangles everyone that it touches. Because it doesn't look fast until you realize that no one can actually resist it. But that Fury one-two, massively underrated. And we need to pay tribute to the fact that the way he executes is a thing of beauty. So by the end of that first round, we're all looking going, wow, we're here. This is, this is going to be interesting, if nothing else. But you've got one eye on the pace and you're saying to yourself, Whew, they're going to do this for 12 rounds as big as they are. With the extra kilos they've got, they've got to do this at the pace they're setting and the different questions they're posing each other. Because that's all draining the tank. Yeah. If you're just reacting in the moment, that's draining your tank. That's why sometimes it's important to have a corner that calms you down and gets you back to what you're supposed to be doing. Next couple of rounds, what do we see with Fury? Now we start to see Fury go, mm, okay, cool. Now I'm here to fight. Are you here to fight? And the intensity quickens up. It's not just the pace, and now it's the intensity. Now Fury's definitely throwing that one too, and he's throwing it like he means it. Wild is throwing his one too, like he means it as well. And you're going, wow, um, they've come to fight. And, and why is that important? That's important because when we go back to the Joshua Ruiz rematch, where AJ kind of skirted around the perimeter of the ring, and as fans, we're like, no, 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 no. Give us more of the first fight. These guys gave us more in the third fight than they gave us in the first two. You could see these were two guys who wanted to prove a point to each other. This wasn't just about winning. It was about proving a point. And you're watching Fury, and now Fury, you know, not like the first fight where he was light on his feet, although he was quick on his feet. Jeez, is he quick on his feet. Not even for a big guy, for a heavyweight, he's just quick on his feet. And he, you know, once you get to round three, and now Fury's got his distance in, he's got his timing, he knows what Wilder's going to do, because at this point, Wilder's now played his best hand. We know what Wilder's looking for, but... He's doing it with a bit more subtlety. So you're seeing, and it's not elegant, but you're seeing more work. You're seeing improved work on the inside from Wilder. He knows what to do a little bit more on the inside. He's not an inside master by any stretch of the imagination, but he can still score points on the inside, and that was good. But he gets dropped in the third round with a, a right hand, which was just above the ear, if I remember correctly. And you think, oh God, we're back to fight number two now. That's, that's what we're all thinking, right? We're back to fight number two, but you've already been through fight number two, so how long does Wilder want to carry this on for? Yeah? Fury's now demonstrated, look, this power's real. Because that wasn't even like long range. It was just a nice, heavy shot. You know, you can try and pretend that his legs were this, he was off balance. No, he got put down with a hell of a shot. And you look and Wilder's like, hell yeah, I want to carry on. Now, we, at this point, now what we know is we've got the warrior Wilder here. There's no Breland, so there's no excuses this time. He's got the team he wants around him. Now we've got Deontay Wilder. We've got the carry me out the ring Deontay Wilder. And we're hoping, 
as neutral fans, as fans of this sport, we're hoping he can come back. Because we know if Deontay Wilder can come back from this, if he can still make this fight competitive, then we've got to respect him. And now Fury's got him. Fury tries to take him out. Wilder is literally hanging on for dear life. But he's hanging on. Remember that. He is hanging on. And he gets to his corner. Malik, you know, does what Malik does. Gets him centered. Gets him running. Goes, that's what you got to do. Now, most people would have said, listen, just run around for a bit till you get your legs back. Wilder knows only one way. And for all of his sins and all the things we don't like about Deontay, well, some people don't like. I'm a fan of his. We can never doubt that this guy's a fighter. You know, Fury talks about being a fighting man. Wilder showed it in round number four. Round number four might be the round that defines Deontay Wilder as a fighter for me. Fourth round, Fury smells blood, right? <laughs> smells blood, goes looking for Wilder. That's something really interesting that, that I... I only noticed when I watched it back. And people were saying, I saw the Twitter sphere, and they were saying, why does Fury come on the inside? He should keep it long. And so what I realized was Fury had sussed out. Every time he comes forward, Wilder goes back looking for space. This is something boxers do, and I never really understand it. And in that transition that Wilder takes, in, in terms of taking that step, step and a half backwards, is when Fury lets the shots go. So Fury comes in, to send you back and as you go back he hits you that's a really clever setup right coming behind a tight guard Wilder's like there's nothing on there let me take a step back so I can get a better look and as you step back bam especially if you keep your hands low and you gotta remember up until this point right Wilder's done everything Malik Scott's asked of him seemingly because this is a different Wilder it's a better Wilder disciplined He's attacking the things that matter. He's looking to score points. He's looking to stay involved in rounds and not rely on a knockout further down the line. This is the wild we wanted to see. That's why the fight's competitive. So what happens? Through being consistent and competitive, Wilder lands his right hand on Fury. Down Fury goes, and Fury didn't expect that. But he gets up. He gets up. And he shows that same warrior spirit, that same courage. I'm fine. I definitely want to carry it. And he gets put down again in the fourth round. And, you know, now you're looking at a 10-7 round for Wilder. And I know there was some noise around whether the counts were slow or not. It's immaterial now simply because of the way the fight went. But maybe the counts were slow. But for a fight like this, I want to give both men every chance because I don't want to be the reason that, you know, the conspiracy theory starts. But Fury survives this fourth round, two knockdowns, survives the fourth round, is still live in the round, even though he doesn't win it. And you're thinking, is that Wilder's best chance to get rid of Fury? Is this almost like round 12 in the first fight? Was that when Wilder needed to get rid of him? Because what happens after that is the psychology of the fight changes. Sugar Hill seemingly gets Fury in the corner says, look, You've been hurt twice. Don't, don't give me none of this flash. You've been hurt twice. And the reason he got hurt was the pace was such that even Fury couldn't think at that pace. So Fury comes out from the fifth round on. Now he's juking and jiving, right? Now he's doing the fainting. He's like, okay, 
I need to reassert control of how this fight goes because that's Fury at his best when the pace suits him. So he uses the feints to keep Wilder at bay. Now I can slow the pace down. Yeah? I can slow the pace down. I can use my feints to get my breath back, to get my legs back, to get everything back. Meanwhile, Wilder doesn't see the play here. And Wilder should be using that, the feints of that as an opportunity for him to get his breath back. Because he's just put a lot away in that fourth round. And I don't think he ever recovered from that. Psychologically, from Fury getting up twice, and also from the energy he's expended up until this point. Now Fury's got control of the tempo of the fight. Every so often, Wilder will surprise him, but broadly speaking, he's got control of the tempo of this fight. And we're all watching this now. We're into round five, round six, and we're saying, this is a great fight. This is a fight heavyweight boxing needed. These are unquestionably the best two heavyweights on planet Earth right now. Because no one could test Fury like this, and no one could drag Wilder into these dark places like Fury is. This is amazing. So rounds five to seven pose this really interesting mid-game. So now you've got, you've got Fury having to use his bag of tricks because he now realizes Wilder's going to be in this fight. So it might take more, more weapons. I might have to have the, the tomahawks, the scuds, the hellfires, all of them. I might have to have everything available and ready to use at any moment. And you start to see more of that counter left hook. So when Wilder's jabbing, Fury's countering with the left hook. And what that does is it keeps the right hand at bay. So now Wilder can't always detonate on that right hand. And at that point, Malik Scott should have said, start to double up on the left side. Just keep him honest. Keep him looking to that side before you throw the right hand. But, I mean, I'm, I'm Sunday afternoon quarterbacking at the moment, which, you know, in the heat of the battle, you can only call what you see. But you've got this interesting game now. Fury's bringing out the, the step back left hook. All these sorts of things what, that he's using to control the pace and geography of the fight. But what it's also doing is it's confusing Wilder. And that confusion Wilder's getting tired. Yeah. And he's showing it. That's the problem. And, what, and as he's getting increasingly tired, he starts to revert back to the old Wilder. Fight number one Wilder. And you see he's got his hands by his chest, his elbows are out, and he's flicking the jab. There's no poise anymore. He's just going on heart. Fury's just going on heart because they're still smashing each other with some of the heavier shots that two heavyweights have thrown. They, they, they were brutal punches. I don't know who, who else you'd put in the ring. There's only one person I could think who would be taking those shots and fighting to stay up. It's Dillian. I think Dillian's cut from that same cloth Wilder is that that you know come on, coming up through the struggle always being against the odds but yeah so by the end of round seven you're looking at this going I don't think Wilder can do the 12. Fury's got all sorts of crazy tricks and he, he does that thing that that I like to see where he's on the inside but what he does is he pulls his hips back so he's got punching room against a target that stood upright so he was able to pull his hips back throw a hook to the body throw an uppercut and Wilder couldn't read that. Clearly he hadn't had a sparring partner that thought like that in the ring. So that was another little wrinkle that Fury adds. So for, for, from a fight that I said was, I, I felt was relatively even after halfway, the gap in quality, the gap in class starts to show from round seven onwards. And you're starting to worry for Wilder because you still think he could drop Fury. And that would make the scorecards interesting, but you, you know he's not going to outbox Fury. 
But as he gets increasingly tired and desperate, you're thinking, okay, what's going to come of this? So as we end into the, to the end game, Fury now starts to use his weight. You can see him, like he's literally, like if you, if you look, Fury's head was about 12 inches in front of his feet. That's how heavy he was leaning on Wilder. He's using his hips, he's dropping his hips, raising his hips, forcing Wilder to resist all of this because he knows Wilder's tired. So he's like, I'm just going to drain the tank. Now Wilder's suffering for the lack of variety. Wilder can only be Deontay Wilder in attack, right? Looking for that big right hand and maybe an uppercut on the inside. But there wasn't anything. He wasn't trying to maneuver Fury. He wasn't trying to get his forearm in Fury's neck. He wasn't doing anything like that in the way Fury was doing it to him. He just didn't have the old man tricks. And I think at that top level, if you don't have the old man tricks, they normally get done to you. But now he's... Wilder's increasingly tired. Fury can sense it. And you can just see Fury start to squeeze. Psychologically. He's not letting Wilder breathe. He's staying on top of him. He's forcing him backwards, knowing that Wilder's not that good going backwards. But then, not many heavyweights are. Fury is, actually. He's probably the only heavyweight who is as competent going backwards as he is going forwards. He probably put Usyk in there. But we haven't seen that tested yet. So you get to round 10 and Wilder gets dropped. And when he got dropped that time, you're like, this is, it's got to be over. His ears bleeding, his lip. He's, he's taken an absolute shellacking. He has. He's taken an absolute shellacking from Tyson Fury. And we've all got to pause by this round 10 and go, how has he stayed up? How has he stayed in this fight? He's not supposed to be here. And deep down, Fury knows that. He's like, I've hit him with everything and he's still here. And you're hoping Wilder gets to the end of the fight at this point. But that minute between round 10 and 11 wasn't enough. Wilder's now old Wilder, right? He's old Wilder, 2014 Wilder. No defense. No defense, no ring sense, no ability to just tie up and listen, even if it means taking a point, tie him up, get to the end of the fight, recover. And then that savage sequence, and like I keep saying to people, the ropes aren't always your friend. If you don't know what you're doing against the ropes, you may as well be in jail. And Fury took advantage of that and threw the right hand that knocked Wilder out cold. And in that moment, the trilogy was done. In that moment, all questions about heavyweight supremacy were done. In that moment, there were no questions left for Tyson Fury to answer. It's that simple. Those two men gave us the best heavyweight fight we've seen in our generation. Without question. It's the best heavyweight fight we have seen since 2000. Now, there may be more action-packed fights. There may be fights with more knockdowns, whatever. But for two people at the top of their sport to deliver a fight of that quality, we haven't seen that. We should have. We deserve to see it. Kudos to Steven Espinosa. Kudos to Bob Arum. Kudos to, to all of those guys who, who put this on. For all the nonsense we've heard over the years from Eddie Hearn, only from Eddie Hearn, by the way, about how these big fights were hard to make and how these heavyweights were avoiding and heavyweights were ducking, I think we now know with absolute clarity that neither Fury nor Wilder ever said no to a Joshua fight. They may have said no to the terms Hearn was trying to dictate, but they never said no. 
And that's why Steven Espinosa stays winning, because Espinosa goes, what will it take for the fight to happen? That's, that's why the Americans do it better than we do. Think about that card. You got, you got Fury and Wilder delivering easily fight of the year, um, heavyweight fight of the century. Then you've got Robert Hellenius rising from the dead, resurrecting his career, making himself a factor in this. You got Frank Sanchez, in my eyes, upsetting Effie Jagba. Now, Frank Sanchez is a voice in the heavyweight division we need to consider. Will he be calling out a Dubois, a Joyce? He has earned the right to do so. Young Jared Anderson announcing himself with a devastating performance over a Russian who people said would give him trouble. J-Rock Williams upset. Look how deep I've gone down this card and there's meaning in everything. Like, we want to see what happens next with this cast of characters. And we would never have seen that in the UK. We know that for a fact. It's why we get shortchanged. It's why, it's why we don't have good promoters here. You know, you had Frank Warren walking around there and, and not one person said to Frank, and I wish they had done, Frank, how are the Americans able to do this? How are the Americans able to get on the phone to each other and say, let's put on a supercard? That's what that was. That was a supercard. And look at us in Britain. Like, I've got Echo Esterman over here. I've got Conor Ben over there. Uh, I don't know. I've got Sam Eggington over here. I've got all of this, this product diluted. So kudos to the Americans for making this happen. And if you, if you manage to make it out to Vegas to watch that, what an absolute privilege. You know, I'm sure, you know, Dev Sign, he's got stories to tell his kids and grandkids about that because that looked incredible. You know, my friend Lola was out there celebrating her birthday, all that sort of stuff. And I, I'm like, that was a hell of an event. That's the event that brought boxing back. Because we won't tire of talking about this. It's a historical event. I'm just, I'm blown away because I thought from top to bottom that was a hell of a show. And I thought both men, and I know there's been some, some animosity because people say that Wilder's a sore loser, but I just want you to pause for a second and, and just think about this. Over three fights, Wilder's genuinely thought he has the tools to defeat Tyson Fury. Call him deluded, call him crazy if you want, whatever. In that knockout, he has to process the fact that there's nothing he can do to defeat this guy. Nothing. And things were said. And people say that was all done to build up the fight. It wasn't. There was real animosity between the two camps. Fight night wasn't the time to shake hands because there's been three years of animosity, three years of disrespect going both ways. And it's easy to be magnanimous when you've won in that situation. I said it in the previous episode. These two shouldn't see each other. They shouldn't talk to each other for two years because they have to let what happened sink in. And then one day, I think they'll understand each other and hopefully they will, they'll be cordial with each other. I don't think they'll ever be friends because Fury took that invincibility from Wilder, which he prided himself on. Now, will we see Wilder box again? Maybe, but he doesn't have to. What would he be boxing for? Would I, would I like to see him go the contender route? Maybe sit there and wait for, to become mandatory for Anthony Joshua? Yeah. As a fan, I'd like that. But is, 
is that going to float this boat? Is having to fight a guy like Huey Fury or Robert Hellenius or Otto Island, is, is that really on the cards for him? Is that what he wants to do? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't fight again. Part of me also wouldn't be surprised if Fury doesn't fight again. I think these guys gave so much of who and what they are to this trilogy. I think they had to find levels of motivation and drive and put themselves in such extreme positions. It's almost like I don't think they could do a normal fight again. I don't think they could do a normal camp again. I just, that's the instinct in me. But then, you know, now with my, my casual head on, you now look at it and go, Anthony Joshua watches that fight and goes, I don't think I can beat any of these guys. They have the heart that I wish I had. I, if I'm Joshua and I manage to beat Usyk, I might cash out against Fury, but with no real belief that I'm going to win. I don't think Joshua beats Wilder. Uh, that version of Wilder beats every heavyweight not called Tyson Fury. That version of Tyson Fury beats every heavyweight not called Ali, Foreman, Tyson, Lewis, in my eyes. I think you've got to start looking at Tyson now, based on that performance, as one of the greats. Because look at Wilder. Top five fights. Forget results for a second. Just top five fights. Three with Fury, who's undoubtedly the best of his generation. And two with Ortiz, who's one of the five best of his generation. Although that generation could include George Foreman, to be honest. So those two guys have nothing to prove as heavyweights anymore. The only reason people will call them out will be for the money. It's not for the legacy, because no one's done what they've done. It will just be for the money. That's, all, that's the only reason you hear call-outs. I want a money fight. You know, Andy Ruiz was already talking about wanting to fight Fury and Michael Hunter was getting stuck in on that, but they haven't done enough. Those two men, if they never boxed again, have nothing to prove. They gave the fans what they asked for. They set the tone for heavyweight boxing. Let's see if Anthony Joshua will rise to that challenge. Let's see if Anthony Joshua wants to put himself in harm's way like Wilder did, like Fury did. Because that's when you become great. When we see you put yourself in harm's way. When we see you get put down and get back up. When you shouldn't be getting back up. From round seven, there was nothing left in Wilder. All that kept him going was the fact that he refuses to quit. And I'm just hoping now that Deontay Wilder gets his respect. Because he showed... If you're going to go out on your shield, that's how you go out on your shield. You go out swinging and still fighting. No fear, just a desire to overcome. And what Tyson Fury showed, when you're great, you stop him. You don't want, you don't want it to go to the judges. You stop him. And also, I just want to tip my hat off to Sugar Hill Stewart because I feel that we could have seen this version of Fury at any time in the last seven or eight years. He just hasn't had the trainers to bring it out of him. Like, There's something about American trainers where they feel confident in going on the attack because they can train that. I don't think we can train that in this country. You know, We either train, just swing wildly, protect your face with your chin, or we just teach super conservative approach. I can see why Fury's trusting Sugar Hill Stewart because Sugar Hill said this is how you do it. I think Wilder and Malik Scott is also a good, it's a good partnership in this... 
the fact that Wilder improved so much between the two fights, like, <laughs> if I'm a heavyweight, I'm going to Malik Scott because whatever he sprinkled on Wilder seemed to work. But I'd like to, I don't know what I want those two guys to do. I just want them to, I want them to enjoy the greatness and enjoy being at the heart of the sport of boxing for a while because they deserve it. And as fans, we got what we asked for last night. And this is what I will say. Anyone that's trying to disrespect Wilder or disrespect Fury for clout, for likes, you're the problem with the sport. You know, the, the kind of people who, who don't have friends. And they don't have friends because they realize you're, you know, you're, you're just using them for clout. So people just avoid you. But there you are on social media going, yeah. I bet Malik Scott would have thrown the towel in. Shut up, man. Like, it was a great fight. Like, there's nothing to say. There's nothing negative to say. Whether you're Team Fury or Team Wilder, it doesn't matter. You got one of the great fights in boxing history. And you needed both men there. And forever and a day, those two men will be defined by each other as athletes. Just like Ali and Frazier, the names go together. Fury and Wilder now go together. Tyson Holyfield, they go together. Who, who's, who does Joshua go with? Nobody. What a night. As a boxing fan, I give thanks that I was able to see that. And I hope you guys all feel the same way. Take care and have a great day. that your people have been fighting for 400 on, years. Man. Your people too. So I want you to explain what you mean too. by that. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all all know what I'm talking about, man. Don't sit up here and try to bait. It's not know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what the fuck I talk about when I say these things. Your people too. Explain it. I, I not everybody knows what you're talking about. Radio Raheem, I don't have to explain what's understood, man. You know what I mean by that. You know what I said by that. I ain't got to go further. And if nobody, if anybody don't understand that, then God be with them. Go look up the history. Go look up the history. Shit, ain't, don't everybody believe in Google? Go Google that shit. See what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, man. You know what I dare you to sit up there and say, explain. You know what I'm talking about, man. His fighting people. You know we've been fighting 400 and still fighting to this day. To this day. To this day. You just sit here and you don't know what I'm talking about? Man, I'm out of here, bro. Let's go. Let's go, man.